welcome to Vija Please, a hateful voyage to the Delta Quadrant. My name's Joseph. I'm Peter. Hey, Peter, how you been, man? It's been a bit since we recorded. Sorry for the week off. Your real life called and got back on track and got our uh, part tuition episode out this week. And back on the horse. Glad to be back here with you. Part tuition resulted in some. I don't know. I, I think we've gotten two or three good Facebook screenshot posts in there. <laughs> we have your dinosaur <laughs> with the uh, the uniform on. That was peak. Uh, yeah. enjoyed that. Yeah, that's uh, that's my <laughs> that's my actual TOS uniform. Those uh, actually cool story. Those are really high quality uniforms and they're from the Star Trek experience that was in Vegas. And when the Star Trek experience closed a local nerd shop around here that used to be called, uh, what was it? Starbase Columbus bought out all their shirt surpluses. And that's where I got mine from. Oh shit. That's cool. I, I have actually been to, uh, I was, I, I went to Star Trek experience in Las Vegas while it was still in the Hilton. Um, I saw both shows and I drank uh, on a couple different Vegas trips at Quirks Bar. I never got to go. It is a huge regret. The one time I was in Vegas while it was there, they had closed for the night. Um, and it sucks because, uh, you know, obviously being the fan I am, I, I really, really wanted a chance to go to that. Do you know the have you ever read up on like the background of what that was supposed to be and and how, how things panned out and why they panned out. Uh, I mean, I know a little bit about it, but uh, I, it sounds like you would have greater knowledge, Peter. Please uh, in, enrich me. So they were trying to make this like a new wonder of the world, right? The Las Vegas mayor was like 300% on board with creating the Star Trek experience. And their vision was to actually make a one-for-one scale replica of the Enterprise, a full-sized, dry-docked Enterprise in Vegas that would be a full functional hotel with people staying in the saucer section and then like all that other stuff through like the the engineering star drive deck. And they were going to go for the golden, like really swing hard on this thing. And everybody was on board with permits and everything else. And then at the 11th hour, someone at Paramount's like, uh, no, and shut the whole thing down. And that's how you ended up with just like a hotel novelty. Uh, oh, Jesus fucking Christ. Are you, I did not know that. That is I did. I've never been dis- so disappointed by something that happened 20 years ago that until this day I didn't know happened. I'll post on the Facebook group the the art for what the hotel was supposed to look like. But if you get a chance, jump on Wikipedia and read up on it. Very interesting stuff. I have a mailbag item for us. Really, really. Yeah. So that came uh, in through what a uh, vjerplease at gmail dot com. It sure did. It came through at vjerplease at gmail dot com, which everyone should email us at. And Soren uh, is this person's name. And Soren uh, let me know that uh, he uh, he just randomly found us on on uh, Spotify. He, nice. was just, he was just looking for a Voyager podcast. He's like, I just, that was and he saw uh, to the journey and thought, <laughs> no, this is too soft. I need something harder. There's, there's, there's another Voyager <laughs> podcast out there. There is. It's called to the journey. 
Um, it's I think Trek FM, so they're they're part of that that whole crowd. Hmm. And uh, and it's like, no, this is this is too soft. This is too this is too loving. I need something that's harsher, more real. And found us. It's like this is this is precisely what I needed. You I are- need a Friday the Thirteenth of Voyager podcasts. <laughs> and um, so after three episodes, uh, Soren was compelled to email to say, "This is great. I love your work. Thank you." Well, hey, Soren, thanks for you know reaching out, and we're happy to have you. I'm sorry you had to sit through the first. I started trying to listen to the first, uh, you know, our first couple episodes. That that old mic I was on. That's a rough listen. Uh, you know. The pilots are often rough, uh, both on Star Trek and in Star Trek podcasts. But uh, he has a question for us to answer here on the air. So I thought I'd go ahead and ask it. Um, If you were given the option of wearing a Voyager issue uniform or a Maquis issue global cafe scrubs for the next seven years of your life, which would you choose? Note that death by macrovirus is not an option. I hate the Voyager. I hate I hate the the turtlenecks. But those Maquis civilian quote unquote future clothes are a fucking train wreck. Joe, you've had a chance to sit there and think about this question longer. Where where are you going? I would definitely go with the Voyager issue uniform because there's so much customization that you can there. You can drop that uh that uh zipper down when you're feeling cash it's it's bizcast fry you know and you want to you want to rock a little of that turtleneck you know you can ditch the whole turtleneck when you need to go action jacket i i just i like the the crisp look and, and those maquis uniforms just looks like you know you're you're supposed to be a waiter at the rainforest cafe and i'm not down for that i'm not down he said what was not an option Death by Macrovirus, that was a joke for the, everybody listening that has watched the rest of Voyager. Um, that's okay, that's he's, not yet happened. He's forbidding this Macrovirus thing, but he is not forbidding copping out into a discount African King costume a la Neelix. That's true. And I don't know. I, I think given my fat ass, I, I think I'd go for the seven of nine uh, tinfoil suit for that nice baked potato look for a real retro spaceman vaguely starfleet uniformish look that would really show off your physique in all the wrong ways mm-hmm. it's funny you bring up the uh the zipper uh because that's one of my observations in this episode we'll get to but uh soren again welcome to the family anybody else out there looking to reach out vger please and that's v-g-e-r please at gmail.com or you can uh message us through facebook you can hit joe at twitter at what Vijer, please. Yep. And I think we got a couple other ones lurking out there. But let's get into it, man. Season two, episode eight, Persistence of Vision. So this episode, well, it's absolute shit, but it's important absolute shit because it's the start of a trend on the show. And it became so much more apparent to me now watching it, why that trend started and what the consequence of it was. Uh, than when I watched it as a kid. I remember this episode being bad when I was a kid, and it actually made me stop watching the show for a couple of weeks. I'm going to disagree. I like this episode. You liked it? I liked it. Uh, it was Oof. it was towards the end that, you know, when they got full closure, um, 
I thought I'm not going to say it's great. I mean, we're not talking projections here, but compared to stuff like a logium and uh, time and again and and thirty sevens, like uh, I'd put this. I think I might put this one in my top fives. Well, as uh, as you know, Peter, I've had a lot of opportunity to bust out my my rhetorical brickbats this week, and I'm going to beat you in the head and neck by you daring to to suggest that you. He actually genuinely enjoyed the experience of watching this show. So I be prepared. This will be a brutal experience for you. Hmm. I, I got through a low gym. I can get through this. So we start off. We got Janeway walking down the hallway and uh, right off the bat, you know, I'm, I'm playing this game where I just pause and I let the first frame like kind of sink in and just wonder where the hell we're going to go from here. Janeway looking good this episode. Her hair is on point and it's it's funny and I'm specifically mentioning this. I put in my notes like I really liked uh, her hair. This episode actually got a nomination, <laughs> an Emmy nomination for hair design. Oh, wow. Really? Yeah. I, um, I would assume that's because of all the hairdos they had to do for all of the uh, holiday characters. Yeah, that's probably part of it, too. Um, I would say that I would agree that this is this is like B to B plus. Janeway hair. It's not top Janeway hair. Top Janeway hair will always be lesbian chic haircut Janeway. Rest in peace. But uh, it's not bad. It's, it's solid. I also noticed this is one of the, the best times I think where you've seen Janeway kind of between uh, big situations. So we had talked before about the Maquis with kind of like a sloppy, disrespectful style. And most of the Maquis characters have their jumpsuit unzipped pretty far um whereas starfleet tuvok and kim specifically like zip it all the way up where the zippers north of their department color janeway actually wears hers pretty low zip she does she's flashing her authority by showing that you know she can wear that as low as she wants you got fireworks going over there yeah i do i don't know what jack off neighbor of mine decided that friday on July 4th weekend is the time to do this, but... Well, dude, just go up to the w- window and yell and let them know that you're trying to film a Voyager, a Star Trek podcast. Hey! Stop- hey! I'm doing important internet work in here for <laughs> dozens of people. <laughs> dozens! Yeah. I don't hear it go anymore. All right. Good job. Thanks. Yeah, so she goes down to engineering and uh, she's in a hurry because... She's she's a busy working lady and she's got shit to do because they're about to go into some part of uh, space space. with some new alien that apparently might be difficult to deal with. And I need a caveat here. When I said (laughs) when I said I like this episode, what I meant was I like the second half of the episode. This entire intro and, and beginning part is is bafflingly awful, stupid and terrible. Okay, see the. You just saved yourself like 10 minutes of of me kicking your ass with your prior statement because I will actually agree with you that it gets better later on and that there is some almost redeeming moments as it gets deep. But holy shit, the first 25, 30 minutes of this is fucking terrible. If you're joining us fresh on the show and you've never heard about Voyager or watched Voyager, it is about a starship that gets knocked 75 years away at maximum warp and they have to get home 
and they're in a very dangerous and hostile area full of unknowns, and they find uh, life very difficult out there. And this captain has a learning disability sometimes where she makes terrible choices like instead of going to the quote-unquote expert that you've acquired on your journey and having him brief you on new and very dangerous hostile alien species, you blow him off. And when your security chief comes to you and says, hey, I want to talk to you about this really dangerous and uh, potentially life-threatening alien species, you blow him off. So you can talk to your chief engineer and science officer about uh, a hologram pet project they're making. And then you're going to let a little wee man who is the size of, uh, I don't know, uh, a two-week-old tell you that instead of going and talking to your, your alien species expert and your security chief, that you just take all this work that you're complaining about having and you throw it all in the trash can and go on vacation. The sequence of events that follows you have obviously already summarized. She goes down. Kim and Torres try this new hollow projector to project the doctor into engineering and possibly other parts of the ship. It doesn't work because he is a wee man. And she gets pissed off because, you know, she's the captain of a fucking starship. So she's got tactical briefings and diplomatic protocol discussions to have with the people that she's fucking employing to do those exact things before she encounters an alien species that she knows is potentially hostile in a hostile region of space where they are on their fucking own. And then the, the doctor is like, you seem stressed. You seem like you're angry. I'm going to order you to go on the holodeck and unwind because you're angry. And she's just is like, yeah, OK, sure. Yeah, I'm going to go do that. Let's revise what we just said there. He orders her to. Well, no, he does say go right now. Yeah, and he does. does. He orders her to do it. And he despite the fact that Janeway has persistently shown that she does not think the doctor is people. She's like, all right, yes, sir. I'm going to go. I'm going to go do this, even though I've just noted to you all the reasons why that's a terrible fucking idea. This is probably the stupidest the doctor has ever been in the, the series so far. I called it, too. I said he was going to be the fucking worst in this episode. And you're like, oh, that's not possible. I felt it in my fucking bones, Peter. I felt it on elemental level. I knew it was time for him to fucking suck. Well, she's blown up on uh, on Kim. She's like, I don't have you know, because he's like, oh, this is going to take us a couple hours to recalibrate. And she starts yelling. I'm like, I don't have time to be around for this. Why would you as the leader of this ship even think that this, even if it was a smooth run, would be worth your time to be personally down in engineering watching a hologram experiment? It's 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 preposterous. It's because of what this episode actually is, which is something I wanted to mention earlier. You know who wrote this? Jerry Taylor. You know who yeah. Jerry Taylor is? She's an executive producer. Correct. She she was the executive producer that basically got promoted to be an executive producer for Voyager. And she is responsible in large part for the feminine voice the show has, right? Like remember at the time in the mid nineties, it was a B it was a big deal. The captain was a woman. And this was part of this episode is part of the misguided, although misguided, I would say at least in an unauthentic and well-meaning way, but ultimately still misguided attempt 
to have Star Trek appeal to women. Because this is a basically a sci-fi version of an episode of Guiding Light. This is a sci-fi episode of Ryan's Hope. This is a sci-fi soap opera episode, not in a space opera sense, but in a soap opera in space sense. Janeway has all of these personal problems, working as a professional and missing her family and all this other stuff, and is really all about her psychodrama and then the other people's psychodrama about their relationships with this little sci-fi, tidy sci-fi cover that has been applied to the story. And I say it's a good-natured failure because I realize that I hate this. My wife, like, watched this for five minutes and was like, um, yeah, I'm not going to help you this time and literally got up and left because um, this sort of thing doesn't appeal to her. But I guarantee you that if I got my mom and sat her down, she'd have liked this one hmm. because this is for a different type of person. The problem is that type of person not traditionally watch watching Star Trek. Star Trek. Exactly. You know, Janeway blows past all of these people pulling at her uh, at her apron saying, hey, look, we need to talk to you about important stuff. Sits through this botched holodeck. Uh, I'm sorry, hologram. And, and again, to, to cover again, the goal, I think, of this scene was to show you that, hey, we are doing work on the ship to allow the doctor to free roam and, and take Robert Picardo out of just the holodeck or the um, the med bay, which is cool and, and you know good world building but he foolishly orders her on the spot to go to the holodeck and enjoy her hollow novel she stupidly agrees right on the verge of like a crisis situation with these aliens right yeah like an exigent crisis about to occur like we're going to travel through their space they're hostile we don't know anything about them like shit is going on right now but she's gonna if i was at work and like we were like in peak season or something like really bad. It was about someone like got hurt on a forklift and impaled in the wall. I was like, man, I need to go on Facebook and unwind. <laughs> or I need like, to put on my fucking VR headset and just play like. <laughs> People yeah. would mute me, but they don't. Whatever. She goes off into her uh, her gothic hollow novel, which oddly I've come to enjoy just because the little boy was such an amazing asshole. It's also where Kate Mulgrew like dives in head first because she's comfortable with the material, mm-hmm. and and it's so she's she she's selling it super hard. All of the melodrama, like wait, like when Picard did Dixon Hill, he was obviously he was he was he was obviously like not quite comfortable with it, and he was play acting at being Dixon Hill. That was kind of the joke, right? Like everybody was like, like, oh, I'm like this character and I'm not actually good at being this character. Not full well, immersion. Not full immersion because they were they were awkward at it. And that was part of the joke. Yeah. But here, Kate McGrew is actually better at playing the gothic uh, governess in in 18th century, 19th century Britain than she is playing a Starfleet captain. So she's 120% invested because she was a soap opera actress. Sure. So she's doing this thing. I will guiltily admit that uh, the plot of this hollow novel is kind of interesting to me. But it's a shame we don't see it again. Yeah, that's funny. This is the absolute last time like this did not resonate well with viewers at all. It was a big point of complaint. And uh, Jerry uh, drops this out of all forward um 
episodes. Uh, but they, they net the first uh, of several hot makeout seshes here in this episode. Let us not let us not let that pass unnoted. <laughs> yeah. So the captain starts making out with uh, holograms. And then what could possibly happen uh, while flying through uncharted space with hostile alien reports? Dun, dun, dun. Yeah, guess the what? Fucking aliens show up. So Janeway pauses the program. And, uh, oh, guess you're going to have to work today after all. Who to thunk it? Goes, gets out of her period garb and uh, strolls up to the bridge for the uh, first encounter that they have with, uh, what are these guys called? Uh, let's see, Bothans, I think was how it was pronounced, which obviously is also how a Star Wars race is pronounced. So I don't know. Um, yeah, we'll go with Bothans. But there's uh, some confusion on if these guys are really dangerous or not. They're very enigmatic. They don't really want anybody around and they of course have terrible backlighting which was actually something that they comment on in the sh- the episode see i thought their bridge you know they get a view screen and it's uh, like joe just said it's a it's a white wall like a light wall and everything's uh backlit and uh i thought as far as like alien bridges go that it looked pretty cool and it was a nice example of you know, just seeing something that actually looked alien for a change and, and kind of scary. You know, it was definitely different. I'm not sure about scary simply because it just was cheap. I recently watched Fire in the Sky, and I think I was drawing some allusions to to that. That maybe made it a little bit better than than someone who hasn't recently seen that. But uh, I enjoyed the bridge. I, it was different. I liked it. Um they make some vague threats about, you know, we don't like people coming through. If you meet the criteria, maybe we'll give you a passage, uh, but they won't be clear on what that criteria is. And and they, they, they wrap things up saying that they will be contacted by, they're going to be intercepted by another ship who will basically vet them. So after that, of course, we have yet another example of a member of the crew butting their their fucking nose into Janeway's health and well-being. And Snarf Snarf has decided that Janeway has not yet had enough of his filthy space cat food and needs to come down for a lunch meeting. This this ties in to the role of Neelix on the ship and and Janeway's consistent consistent mishandling of it. We we talked before, like, this guy is really your only lifeline to the Delta Quadrant, right? And I can see on paper why he's worth whatever bullshit he brings to the table, because someone in this weird like space pirate junk trader role, having a bunch of scoundrelly friends like the dudes connected. Well, this is he actually demonstrates that relatively well in this episode eagerly too, because you remember the beginning episode, like he actually directly intercepts her. And it's funny that, you know, a guy who's not in a Starfleet uniform, a guy who's basically a visitor on the ship, the computer will tell him exactly where the fucking captain is like pinpoint her ass for just a rando. Um, He's gotten his lungs stolen. He's wandered off. Like he's very dangerous to his own well-being. Sit this guy down for like four hours, five hours, eight hours. Pump him for every bit of info he knows on camera. So if he does get his brain stolen or fall off a cliff or whatever, you've got this knowledge on hand. 
he should be briefing her like months of travel time in advance, not 15 minutes before they show up on something like it's it's a problem I hang on Janeway's shoulders, Um, especially when he's like insisting like, yo, I talk to my people who know people who know people. And these guys are a fucking problem. We really need to talk about them. Like he's not like trying to blow his own horn about how cool he is, which is certainly something he's wasted Janeway's time with in the past. Mm -hmm. He's like, no, I actually am scared of these guys. I should I want to tell you everything I know because I want to live because I am a cowardly space cat. Uh, But, you know, I'm sure you noticed that Snarf Snarf made reference to his ability to do catering. You haven't eaten since dinner. Uh, Let's maybe that's why Jim makes so many decisions poorly. Maybe she's just uh, always lightheaded because she's got like a eating disorder. And, you know, this is the result. He gets her down to the mess hall and starts uh, walking. <laughs> this is how dangerous this alien threat turns out to be. He's going to go item by item through the fucking menu and like give a dissertation on everything he's serving, you know, instead of just jumping into a very important briefing. But it's all stuff on the craft services table that we get a nice close up of one of the items being some uh, cucumber sandwiches. Wait, wait, wait. Cucumber sandwiches. Really? Like from the holodeck? Yeah, so it hits Janeway hard because it's like the exact same sandwiches on the exact same plate and the exact same cut, which they specifically call attention to because the little girl didn't like the way the chef would cut them. And uh, it's kind of like a, hmm, well, that's weird. And then she mentions she wants some coffee or some tea. Neelix brings it over and there is a teacup that is... Again, the exact same prop that had been featured in the hollow novel that she had been playing through, which uh, had been. And now you got, you know, more than a coincidence here. She actually has a little conversation with him about how strange it is. Neelix openly admits that it's not a standard, you know, Starfleet cup and that he had found it in storage. And, you know, isn't it cool? Whatever. Uh, I will say there was a there was a clever camera note in that scene. Later on, it's revealed that, uh, you know, I'm going to shock the shit out of you with this Janeway's seeing things. Mm-hmm. Um, if you look in the background of the shot with the flower cup, you'll see the other teacups in the background look like the ones they actually are. Really? Yeah. I hmm. thought that was like the one clever, subtle camera thing they did in the whole episode. This is where the episode for me starts kind of steadily increasing my interest in it um like i said i like space i like the potential for space madness episodes we knew from the the netflix intro that it was going to be one of those deals oh hey hold on a second i remember you saying that you didn't like space madness that i was the one defending space madness we agreed that we like space madness we like anything when it's done well okay fair and i also said i was looking forward to it because, again, Space Madness seems to be a persistent threat to Starfleet. And how, when they're directly confronted with it, do they they go about handling it? And, and we'll get to that here in a little bit. But uh, does he actually brief her? I, I don't remember what happens in the rest of the scene. Um, not really. Uh, the All we get to know really about the alien race is what Neelix hit her with on the bridge. Um, they They move on to her in the uh, hallway and she starts hearing shit from her holodeck program 
Mm-hmm. And there starts to be some like dramatic music because she starts to see perhaps the little girl from her uh, her holodeck program. And then she turns the corner and there she is. And it's freaking her out. The, for anybody else who's paying attention to this gothic hollow novel, this little girl's mom is in fact alive and she's trapped up in the attic. And that, uh, you know, there's some real dark skeletons in this family's closet. Yeah, there's some weird shit going on in the story itself, and the people, the the vision she's having of this little girl is relating those plot points. So I'm watching, and instantly I'm like, all right, well, this isn't really a space madness episode. And my assumption at this point is somehow, whether it's the alien or just the ship systems, because, you know, they had this whole checkoffs gun thing in the beginning with the hey we're installing hollow emitters all over the ship so the doctor can freely roam and i'm just like i bet you the twist at the end of this is that janeway's not really going crazy and it's just these hollow projectors malfunctioning um and i was i was pretty confident that's what it's going to be uh but in fact the next scene and this is again how these this uh this episode starts quickly building credibility for me she goes off to uh engineering and you got two options. One, am I really seeing stuff uh, going on in the ship from my hollow novel, or am I going crazy with some space madness? And unlike Harry Kim in fucking uh, Non Sequitur, she does the reasonable thing and is just very open with her crew about like, I'm seeing shit from my hollow novel around the ship, and either I'm going crazy, or maybe these hollow projectors you guys have half-assedly put up everywhere that we know aren't working correctly are beaming stuff around the ship Right, and and they quickly check box through that. Uh, Bolana relates, no, we're not messing with the holodecks or bypassing that. Um, let's do a diagnostic. Janeway goes back to the holodeck and and has another like romantic encounter with the holodeck character, which oh, is super awkward to me because it's like, can can Bolana and Harry Kim see this right now? Because that that would have to be very strange. Um, but it come, they come to the conclusion there's nothing wrong with the holodeck and they're not projecting anywhere. So the next step the Janeway takes to see what's going on with her, she goes back to talk to Neelix and goes, hey, I really loved lunch. So I had this, 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 and cucumber sandwiches, right? At which point Neelix, who once again, not wearing gloves and also not showing good knife safety, peeling whatever he's peeling, relates in between getting salmonella all over the food that the Voyager crew will eat, that in fact it was not cucumber sandwiches, and then expectedly also shows that the teacup that the captain used is a very silver and black, normal, Starfleety looking teacup, which in which Janeway, uh, I will say, regards somewhat ashenly, and like there's some good non-verbal acting, as she comes to the conclusion that she is in fact going crazy and therefore has to go to the doctor because she is solid she, scene. She is, she is convinced she is going crazy. It's a solid scene because again, you know, I'm trying to figure this thing out in my head as I'm going through, what would I be doing? And, and Neelix after that very specific conversation about this is a non-standard cup and this and that, like has now empirically proven that, this is not a shared hallucination and that this is targeting her specifically. And yes, she is going crazy. I, Except it uh, isn't like they didn't let that thought linger. 
Because in the next scene is when you start to get the impression very quickly that it's not just her because Kess immediately seems to be all, you know, dialed in to whatever this weirdness is. Right. But from the anal retentive standpoint of like, do the smart thing in the horror movie, you know, don't split up, uh, you know, don't go in the basement. That kind of a mindset watching this thing. Granted. Granted, I, was I see happy, what you're saying. Yeah. I was happy that like, okay, you've got someone who might be going crazy or maybe something else. When they send her off to go uh, get the head scanner, they send Kess off to go get the head scanner. And then the doctor kind of leaves um, Janeway alone. And then the, the child pops in front of her again and she starts seeing a ghost. I'm like, what? I start kind of yelling at the TV, like, why would you not have a witness there? So Kess coming in and kind of crashing that party and being able to witness that going on uh, felt pretty good to me. And she also could, Kess indicates that she can manipulate what's happening with her, with her psychic powers. So it becomes, and this is why I guess I really didn't like the episode. They, they very quickly go from, does the captain have space madness to obviously something is impacting her. They can empirically prove it and they can affect it. So all the mystery is gone because you know, the aliens are fucking doing it. You know, at this point, like they're in a mysterious part of space. These guys are enigmatic. They don't like to talk to people. Weird shit happens to the ships that show up there. And all of a sudden this weird shit's happening. And it's not just craziness. It's, the aliens are doing shit and it's psychic somehow and Kess is dialed in on it. And that's why she can affect it. Like all well, of a sudden it's all blown open and we're like still like 20 minutes in. Sure. Well, let's go through our list of space madness causes. Uh, genuine space madness, alien ruse. What was it? Malfunctioning technology. What was our other that we, we drilled in uh, non sequitur. Oh, uh, timeline shenanigans, temporal disturbances. Uh, this is the first time that we've actually had a legit instance of uh, alien influencer. I don't think we really need to keep the suspense going too long. Now we've got a, a genuine case of alien fuckery. I'm I'm eager to explore it. What I don't understand is how the characters remain oblivious to that. They have every reason to think once they know that Kess can manipulate whatever's happening to the captain that, well, we're in fuckery land with the fuckery people who fuck with people. So I wonder if they're fucking with us. Like how, how does no one figure that out? Good point. Uh, and to be fair, Kess isn't immediately aware that she can willfully influence these hallucinations so much as she disrupts them to some degree to later. Uh, Her, her control over what she's doing at the first is, is haphazard, but they establish in the very first scene where she sees the vision that like, oh yeah, I can fuck with this. It's, you know, there's other episodes where there's similar space madness caused by alien plots that are much better because it remains more of a mystery as to what exactly is going on. Remember that great TNG episode where, uh, you know, they all, the bridge crew gets their, the entire crew gets their mind wiped. And all of a sudden there's like this extra fucking guy there trying to talk them into doing some shit. Like, that's where they really started exploring the uh, Ro Laren Riker romance subplot. Yes, they fucked in that one. It was yeah. it was solid, but um, 
like I think of that as a great alien influence my space madness episode because yeah you know they're being fucked with and you know this alien is responsible but you don't know the whole fucking story of what's going on you don't know how it's happening you don't know how they're gonna come through it and all this there's none of that mystery here well I'll still applaud the uh the excellent use of uh the hollow projector fake out uh and then the the quick reveal to alien influencer telepathic shenanigans um Janeway leaves sick bay. And I'm kind of like, well, at what point unwinds, say- unwinds with a little coffee ice cream in her quarters using that expensive uh, uh, replicator effect, you know, the full effect. That's good. I do want to give a soup shout out. <laughs> she she went to go for that vegetable bouillon. But yeah, then last minute she switched over to the ice cream. But she's chilling out in her quarters and she starts hearing shit and she doesn't know who it is. She gets up. Ask the computer, hey, who's in my quarters? It's just you. It's important to note she's hearing her fiance and her dog. Is yeah. Who she's hearing. Who she had just recently looked at a picture of in a very 90s picture frame. Does she, she doesn't actually end up seeing him in this scene, right? She just hears him kind of talking. Correct. And then she goes to bail, tries to, you know, leave. And uh, the doors open up and an antagonist from her hollow novels there with a knife saying about how she's not welcome. And, uh, there's a little cat fight. She gets her hand cut with this carving knife and gets into like this, uh, this wrestling match. And then they do a nice job zooming away from her, you know, panning out from her face. And you see that she never left sick bay and she's having a full blown, uh, hallucination right there in front of Kess and the doctor the doctor seems completely baffled by what's going on, but Kess can very clearly see the exact scene that's going on. It's kind of narrating a play by play. Uh, finally, I don't know who, who snaps. Tuvok her snaps her out of it. Tuvok does. And at this point I'm like, all right, this captain is no longer fit for duty. Are they going to keep, <laughs> how, how far is Voyager going to jerk us around here with bad decisions? But to their credit, uh, they make the call. Hey, Time to pass the torch over to Chakotay. I'm compromised, and I got to sit this one out. And they do, and she quickly notes all of the things that she did not successfully accomplish as captain that day. Mm -hmm. All of the meetings she blew off and is like, you should probably talk to Tuvok about, you know, shooting at the dudes that might be fucking with us and all that sort of thing. And um, sure enough, just after Chakotay gets to the bridge, they have their encounter with the Botha again. And suddenly the encounter goes wrong because Tuvok's picking up on his sensors that some some fuckery is afoot. And as a consequence, they need to be ready for a fight. So the Botha hits him up and says, where's the captain? I only talked to the captain. And, and you can see now, I would say this is where they kind of cement the fact that, you know, for the slow viewers at home, that Janeway is being targeted by these aliens and that this is a structured attempt to destabilize the ship um diplomacy with these aliens starts going south pretty quickly and like you said tuvok starts getting some weird readings and then uh you know an applaud to the the crew on this one they see that they've just wandered into a trap and that there might be some cloaked vessels and no sooner do they say that uh these ships start coming out of uh cloak and, and firing on them the captain shows up after uh voyager's kind of gets its ass kicked and looks like they're going to have to surrender. And she is, is, is essentially, you know, 
trying to do a bit of negotiation with them to get them to not like attack them like starting to like piece together like why why are you doing this like what what's up with this and that's when everybody on the bridge um starts to see in the alien as it approaches the camera um and gets closer to the view screen their loved ones uh, Janeway starts by seeing her fiance Mark and as we after we get back from commercial break we hear uh, uh Kim say that looks like my girlfriend Libby that looks like um, my cave woman Libby I was so sad they didn't get her <laughs> I thought I was gonna I know, right? see those eyebrows again I got excited man I was like oh what a delightful surprise but no those cheap bastards and she just gets a shout out by name only and then uh we get an interesting little moment with Tuvok seeing his wife and like the loot he played for her and then suddenly she's he's on Vulcan and you get you get the point of what's happening here is he that goes to crazy town so fast like I how how it's illogical to see my wife out here in the Delta Quadrant. It's also illogical that, you know, the computer panel in front of me just turned into my fucking loot like he succumbs to the space trickery. I think the fastest out of anybody on the ship. And for someone yeah, with a like, guarded, you know, tactical, logical mind, like this is the most embarrassing thing I think I've seen out of this guy. I uh, I agree, especially also since he has like mild psychic powers as a Vulcan. Yeah, like you would think that he would be not the last one at before Kess, you know. But but no, he's the first. It's actually out of the human crew, aside from the captain, it's Tom Paris that holds out. It's Tom. It's bad boy Tom has no has no love. For what he's seeing, because he's seeing his dad, he's seeing Admiral Owen Paris. Do they use the same um, guy uh, for no? When was, when he becomes a more major character later on, they use a better actor. Because I was surprised, you don't see a lot of fat Starfleet officers, and this dude like barely fits into that Admiral outfit. It was a very interesting casting choice, and they went with somebody that had a similar look of of jowls when they uh when they finally cast uh the role more definitively later on mm-hmm. um, but definitely somebody that was a little less uh a little less obese a little, a little trimmer and that's also by the time we start seeing a lot of owen paris we're uh we're into the uh uh all the alpha quadrant scenes being shot in first contact uniforms so it's a different different game entirely which is an interesting point i don't know if you knew that but when at, at this time, point in the timeline where the f- first contact happens on DS9, they all just convert over to the first contact uniforms. Um, but they don't do that on Voyager. And you can kind of tell the passage of time for the Alpha Quadrant because all of the scenes regarding Alpha Quadrant personnel, everyone is in the first contact uniforms, even though Voyager never converts. Right. But anyway, the, everyone's starting to basically zone out into fantasies of seeing loved ones because and they use Tuvok as a way to demonstrate whatever, what's happening Man, to everybody. His shot on Vulcan looked terrible. They got like this map painting that they just Photoshop him standing on. I would say it's worse than non sequiturs, uh, San Francisco scenes. Oh no, 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 no. Hold on. Okay. That San Francisco, that first shot, of the San Francisco skyline circa 1995 with a fucking cardboard cutout shuttlecraft going nee, 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 across the fucking screen. They might as well had a, like a fucking production assistant behind it, holding it, holding it up there for all the fucking good it was. 
That was way worse than this shitty matte painting. At least this matte painting was an effort to make it look like an alien landscape. That matte painting, like, I think, was actually from one of the movies also. I, it could be. I, uh, I, I, it's expensive. I, I, you want to get your mileage out of those things. Um, sure, it's a Star Trek staple. My question at this point, you've got three ships. you got the main Bothan ship, and there's what looked like one of those Kazon, or, you know, the Kmart Klingon, like, uh, El Camino <laughs> Uh, space hoopties flying in there and then the third ship I couldn't really tell what it was but I'm like I, I kind of start questioning you've got the upper hand you've got their their crew stun locked like why are you not either blowing Voyager up or like beaming over raiding parties at this point and well I mean as the ending reveals they may never have been there at all Oh no! That was actually like the entire good. fight could have been illusionary. My, you know, my assumption at this point was that it was a single aggressor, and that they were either drone ships or you basically had one guy with really strong psychic powers who was running a big game, and he wasn't going to be able to subdue the four or five people that were still operative. But um, yeah, that's actually the latter. The latter explanation you just provided is what I think is that he was just a dude. Mm-hmm. Everything was illusionary, including his ships and the fight. And so he had to knock the whole crew out if he was going to succeed in whatever he was going to do. Right, so. which I think is a really good twist, and, and we'll talk about that some more at the end. But uh, so who do we got uh, up right now? It's Janeway is still in the game. Paris is. You got the doctor, obviously. Another great example of, you know, you got this EMH that is there for, like, dealing with medical issues. And I said, well, why don't you have, like, emergency engineering or security dudes or whatever. And, and I get it. Maybe it takes a lot of processing power and your you know, ship's about to blow up. You can't take that kind of strain to run that thing. But, you know, it can't get tricked by uh, by by telepathy and, and psychic bullshit holograms. Real strong lesson to be learned here about getting a couple more people in key situations. But you got Balana up somehow, even though everybody else in engineering is zonked out. And you got Chakotay. That is correct. So Janeway's like, all right, uh, surprise, surprise. Like always, comms aren't really working great. Get down to uh, engineering with Bellana. No, no, comms were working because Bellana's like, hey, I got yet another. <laughs> Bellana, if Scotty was like a miracle worker, Bellana's like a Boy Scout. And <laughs> her ability to fix any problem her swiss army knife is the warp core she has fixed i think every major situation they've come across so far with using the warp core incorrectly from superheating the ship to burn off all the cheese fungus to in this case creating an inverted bubble (laughs) that's gonna block psychic attacks uh i don't think i've seen her meet a challenge that she can't overtake with uh abusing the warp core i kind of get it though because her whole school of engineering is improvisation yes probably doing dangerous ass shit with you know terrorist vehicles so the idea of like how do we get out of this well i'm gonna do some goofy shit to the warp core and hopes that works because i don't want to die to cardassians throwing me into a gulag at what point is she gonna go to janeway and chakoti be like you know i heard you guys had a whole meeting about procreation on the ship and I just wanted to let you know that ever since that cheese incident where we had to, like, you know, crank the radiation, like, <laughs> everybody's sterile. 
I don't think we should tell everybody because, you know, they'll probably get pissed off. But like, just so you guys know, it's really a non-issue. People, you know, condoms are only here for like space. I'm sorry, caretaker station herpes at this point. You don't really have to worry about uh, babies. Well, let's get to the uh, let's get to the most awkward part of the episode. I liked it. Well, so Chicote so- gets dispatched. He rolls down, and uh, you got Balana cranking away at her, uh, you know, round three of sterilization on everybody. And Chicote's got a real bad attitude. Tells her that everything's fucked up. Uh, that everybody's zonked out on the bridge. In addition to engineering, best case scenario here is to jump in a shuttle. Hoof it back a couple uh, weeks to travel to the last M-class planet and regroup and, you know, formulate a plan because basically they're in the danger zone right now and they need to get the fuck out. And Bolana's like, uh, excuse me, that's a terrible idea and I'm not leaving the fucking ship. So then he starts putting his hands on her. Oh, yeah. He put he uh, he does more than put his hands on her, my friend. It gets it's intimate very quickly, you know. Definitely some some vibes. He's vibing. There's some vibing happening here. And it's out of fucking nowhere. Like, where have we seen romantic interest be expressed by Bolana Torres towards Chicote? Because clearly this is her fantasy. Well, actually, episode two of season one. Did you just well actually mean like you have a sixth level fucking neck beard actually did, did you just fucking do that actually to me? when she threw that tin cup at his ankle that was an act of aggression and physical violence which is you know that's how the klingons do that's a foreplay that's how you that's... know <laughs> yeah no I this will... comes out of complete left field that you you've never seen anything at all that would indicate that there is any uh romantic aspirations there i think the closest you're really going to get is when Chakotay is trying to rope uh, Janeway into his five-minute spiritual animal cult uh, that she admits that she had gotten roped into it. She bailed on it, and she was very afraid for the captain falling into that same bullshit. So the idea here is that this is like a way back in Balana's mind. Like she doesn't like to think or admit that she uh, wants to bone Chakotay. It's fair enough, man. How many people do you know that you can't stand and or, or, or you know, you've, you've never had a dream where you kiss or hook up with someone and you wake up, you're like, oh, my God, what was I? What's wrong with me? Like, I, this is a pretty legit situation. So Chakotay like, hey, uh, you know, let's do this thing. Let's get out of here. We can be together. She calls him out. And it's like, you're this is bullshit. You're not the real Chakotay. That's, and he's, you know, like, hey, it could be the Chakotay. And she very willfully gives into the fantasy and they, you know, end up back in her quarters. And yeah, first uh, they make out. We got hot make out session number two. Then they're they're rolling around in bed with each other. Like they, she's she's fucking in yeah. her fantasy. They pan back from her face and she's just kind of glazed over sitting on the floor in engineering. And, you know, she is zonked out that Chakotay had never come down there and that, uh, you know, this engineering warp bubbles a no go. And of course, Tom Tom finally succumbs to his dad being an asshole to him. Starts mouthing off and living the fantasy of telling this guy to go fuck himself. The uh, Chakotay 
Torah scene got them a lot of flack from the female viewership. They thought that it degraded Torres and that, you know, this and that. Um, what's uh, what's Torres's actor's name? Uh, Roxana Dawson. Yeah, she says like fans always like hassle her at cons and stuff about, you know, how much they didn't like to see. I thought it was fair. I, I don't think it really degrades her role as a as a female leader or anything. Again, we all have those weird boners we should you know we hadn't had when we think about someone you know it's it's stuff pops into your mind at inopportune times but that's precisely why i don't like this because everyone else what is their fantasy it's something very near and dear to their hearts and very real to them it's harry kim's fiance it's the captain's fiance it's tuvok's wife it's Tom Paris's father. Yeah, but the Everyone Tom Paris. Else, hold on, let me let me get all this out. It's everybody has something that's very obviously important to them shows up to them, and then for Belana Torres, it's her secret fuck fantasy with with Chakotay that never comes up ever fucking again, like that we've never seen any indication of. It just I'm not saying it makes it seem weak. I'm just saying it was bad writing. Like, what an opportunity for us to learn something new about Bellana Torres that matters later instead of a one-shot shock scene that literally goes nowhere from this point forward. Yeah, but it's cheap. You didn't have to bring any special guest stars in. Let me fix the scene for you. Let me make this better. Uh, her, it, let, Let's say we're going to keep it with a shock fuck scene. <laughs> bring back that dude who stole Fred Durst's face. <laughs> And in a real shocker, you find out that maybe she did have a little bit of feelings for uh, Dr. Space Mengele after all. <laughs> there you go. But yeah, look at you script doctoring this shit. Anyways, I thought the Bellana fake out was, whether you like the subject material or not, I think it was it was a good fake out. You knew there was going to be at least one of these bleed you down thinking that, the, you know, whatever. I don't know. At some point... Janeway tries to go somewhere, doesn't she? She actually finds that. Yeah, after Tom, after Tom fades out on her, uh, she realizes she might be the last Mohican. So she gets on the, in the turbo lift to go down to engineering herself, finds out Chakotay never made it out of the turbo lift. And that's when she finally succumbs. She sees her uh, fiance, Mark, and we get hot makeout session number three, number two for Janeway. And I want to give it up to these actresses. We got full tongue, full action on all three of these. They went for these ladies went for gold. They made it work. That's got to be tough. I couldn't. I don't think I could do that. Like as it, like I, that's I couldn't be an actor and pull that off convincingly. Well, I mean, that's part of being an actor is putting yourself into a situation that you personally would not be able to handle and and doing it for the camera. When she falls to Mark's fantasy ploy, they harp on the fact that she has not been faithful because she has been kissing this hollow novel character. And I, I think this is a good chance for us to look at what status do the holodeck constructs have. We talked uh, in a logium about, are you lame? If you actually genuinely become, you know, best friends with a holodeck character, I would have figured that, you know, the holodeck characters would be akin to Westworld androids where people just bang him and don't seem to care because it's just hologram masturbation but she's carrying some serious guilt 
that Mark is able to capitalize on that she has been making out with this hollow novel character. Uh, even are they married or are they just dating? Uh, I, I think that he's supposed to be her fiance. I think you're right. Uh, and she's got some real baggage on this thing. So it's not all just, you know, holographic fun and games down there. It's the, I think if you get caught screwing the holodeck uh, babysitter, uh, you know, that counts as cheating on your wife in the 24th century. I would agree. I would definitely agree. It's it's more as much as we like to joke that uh, Tom Paris has his own um, J.O. Den, Big Tom's discount sex barn uh, with his fleshlights. It's obviously more than that. Um, it's more intimate. And as a consequence, I would I would go with your assertion that it, it would constitute within the confines of traditional relationship in the 21st century since cheating. I, I don't, I still continue to think that it wouldn't necessarily be lame to be friends with a holodeck character, particularly as hollow characters become so sophisticated in late era Berman Trek, i.e. Vic Fontaine, i.e. the doctor. I maintain the doctor's different because he's a persistent person. So is, so is Vic Fontaine. I don't know who Vic Dante. I'll reserve. Justice. I don't watch DS9, bro. I'm going to keep adding these references in until you're intrigued enough to give it a well, try. Well, we got to figure out what we're going to do after we finish up this Voyager thing. So I'm not going to start watching an episode or series now if we're going to do it later. Well, whatever. So she gets zonked out. And before you know it, you got uh, the doctor who does not want to teleport into engineering and be a wee man anymore. And you got Kess, who is the real last of the last. So the doctor's like, hey, you got to go down there and finish up Bolana's uh, Swiss Army knife warp core trick. You got to pull the bottle opener out. She goes down there uh, and it correctly does not know up from down in this place. The doctor's like, all right, well, let me read up on some manuals and I'll get back with how we handle this. And uh, in comes uh, Snarf Snarf. Yes, I, I liked like for a moment that because snarf snarf is for real cowardly mm-hmm. maybe it's really him he has talked right? before about we need to get on my ship and leave because we are not a part of this crew we're not wearing the uniforms and it was fun while it lasted and and let's get out the cast stuff was the best part of the episode this was probably i think the the only moment i felt there was a real genuine spark of creativity in what they were doing but it becomes Cass's assertion that this has to be fake because, once again, trying to prevent her from from doing what she's doing, which is exactly what the image of Tom Paris she just had attempted to do. Oh, yeah, we skipped over that. Yeah, it was a Tom Paris injured, and it was her first real indication of like, oh, this is a this is a hallucination. These hallucinations are trying to prevent me from doing this. But we find out that this uh, this. Neelix is no mere hallucination. It's like the hallucination. It's the dude. Mm-hmm. Um, and in an effort to stop Kess, he actually like puts a whole bunch of like super painful burn boils on her. It's all nasty and gnarly and like crippling so it that she cool can't concentrate. Fuck, yeah, she's got like pus leaking out of these things. It looks like she got like acid attacked and and plague boiled at the same time. Uh, she does, however, successfully throw using her psychic powers 
those boils onto the dude. What you're looking and, for, the term you're looking for, is she super saiyans him. That's true. She oh, she uses her power level uh, to to overcome the uh, the crippling limitations. And upon successfully uh, uh, incapacitating the alien, uh, she enters in the last of the information into the into the janky warp core shit that Lana <laughs> was about to do. And sure enough, it, it breaks everybody out of their, their, uh, their fugue state. Uh, Belana wakes up hopefully after she finished in her dream. I'm hoping that for her. Yeah. But everybody gets up and the alien is no longer Neelix. It's now the alien. And, uh, they they basically kind of surround them a little bit. They're like, okay, now you're going to be in the Hurt Locker. I'm yelling at them like, you got a dude who's like Omega level telepathy threat. Like, stun that motherfucker. Balana gets the phaser out and like points at him. And I'm just yelling like, I, I you're not going to kill him, but put the fucking zap on this guy's ass before he, you know, sends you off to fucking fantasy land again. Um, he's already shown that he's mentally messing with everybody. Why wait? But it's because you guys are dialogue. Uh, you know, it's your standard bipedal, whatever, rubber mask guy, but I thought he looked pretty cool. He did look bad. I did like that his mask had some detail, but... Uh, yeah, I like how he had, like, two sets of lips. Uh, but Janeway rolls down there very casually into engineering. And, like, in, I, I thought... So she starts probing, not, like, why did you do this to us or any, like, the moral questions. Like, right off the bat, she starts, like, scientisting him, like... How did you do that? Is that an innate organic ability? Are you using technology? And I'm like, Jane, were you trying to co-op this tech? What's going on here? He did. I mean, she did say why, because he responded. Yeah, that's felt because real I flimsy, could. Though. Yeah. Which was like, man, this is a guy's real fuck. Like, that was, that was <laughs> because, like, you know what? Vaporize his ass. Shoot him, Bellana. Uh Yeah. So he lays it out on there that, uh, yeah, I did it because I could and I'm a piece of shit and that there's a lot of shitty aliens out here and this and that. And then, uh, by the way, in a real Q play, uh, turns out I'm not even here. And not only does he disappear, but the three ships that had just beat the hell out of Voyager uh, disappear as well. And you are left to see that this has all basically been a manifested astral projection and a massive act of telepathy that completely shut the whole crew down. And if it had not been for Cass, who I don't really want to call her Mary Sue in this episode, but you know, one of those situations like, man, good thing we had an ultra telepath on here or we would have been fucked. I, Cass does not qualify as a Mary Sue to me because she does not immediately succeed at all the things she does. Yeah. Mary Sue's have no faults, have no flaws, always win, you know, which is why as much as I dislike, discovery i also dislike people saying michael burnham is a mary sue michael burnham is a total fuck up michael burnham fucks up constantly for the entire season over and over again she is a fucking idiot she's nowhere near a mary sue and Cass, while very competent and very powerful and very skilled is also naive and and often not understanding of people's uh, motivations and uh, consistently suffers before she succeeds. So that's normal character stuff. That's definitely not a Mary Sue. Um, but they get no fucking answers at all about who this guy was. And they're all just kind of left to just disturbingly contemplate all of their their visions. You know, Bolana's got a 
got to go over her her fuck fantasy with the first officer in her head all the time now. And uh, and Jane was like, well, I guess I sort of cheat on my fiance now. And that's what I do. And then the episode ends. I think, again, the space mat, not space madness, but, you know, the, the, the horrors of deep space. You've got something that for all intents and purposes is a cue, you know? Yeah. I don't think there's anything that really happened there that was outside the scope of Q. If Q really wanted to play a, a surgical mind game with people, um, so something that maybe not as powerful as Q, but certainly able to overpower the crew to the the point of Q. Um, and that thing's just running around loose now with a vendetta against the ship. Uh, and it's it never comes up again. It's sad and squandered potential, but, you know, just as far as those horrors of space go, a very strong addition to the catalog of what the fuck are we doing out here? And Oh, it's absolutely great for the um, uh, the Lovecraftian horror headcanon that we've developed. Yeah. (laughs) Shit like this is out there, like literally just like enslave all your minds type of type of nonsense. But. I mean, really, for the crew, what would have been, if we're going to talk about any degree of follow-up at all, just at some point, someone throw just a sideline out there, be like, for all we know, we're still in that dude's, you know, crazy fantasy trap, you know, two seasons in or whatever. But um, I enjoyed the episode. I thought it was good. Again, Janeway's whole reasoning of skipping briefings and all that other stuff and, and jumping right into the holodeck on the, on the verge of it first contact situation was ridiculous but as far as the space episode or the space madness episodes go you got some solid fake outs some good what ifs and um i liked it so my beating up on it no effect whatsoever on your misguided opinion no none i mean what are your big gripes here well i think i laid it out i mean as as, what are your top three gripes all right top top number one gripe is that the the story itself is extraordinarily predictable and has essentially played out all of its drama by the halfway mark. And the characters don't seem to put together what is obvious to the viewer and should be obvious to them, given what they've been through. Everything having to do with the focus being on Janeway neglecting her duties as captain of a star sh- of a starship lost in the Delta Quadrant because she needs to spend 20 minutes you know, in her fucking bodice ripper holodeck novel is dumb. And then you've got this out of nowhere, like set up for a, a Chicote Bolana romance that it was never teased and then is never spoken of again. It's is it the worst episode we watch? Absolutely not. There's parts of this that were actually entertaining, but it's it's definitely in that lower echelon of bad but not terrible voyager that made season one mostly you know okay to get through i mean this is a huge improvement over elogium or twisted don't get me wrong but that's pretty relative it's like man i went and i got i got punched in the groin today that was so much better than when i got stabbed in the fucking eyeball uh, i don't know man you look look at the season two episodes we've gone through up to this point and I, I think you're going to relatively speaking, it was more enjoyable, but it was still not actually good. 
I think you have a little Stockholm syndrome. I think you have been captured by season two of Voyager's dark power. It's dark energy. And it's convinced you this is somehow good when objectively it was not good. Well, listen, you can either go with the flow in season two and get out of the basement and see the sunlight, or you can cling <laughs> to these goddamn high morals of yours and stay shackled to the wall while they brand you with a fucking uh, iron. So <laughs> right. don't, don't hate on me because I'm trying to fucking retain my sanity here. All right. Uh, any more thoughts on this episode? Or you want to move on here? No, I'm good. Let's, uh, let's crack open what's next, Peter. Lay it on me. Season two, episode nine, tattoo. Finding a familiar cultural symbol on an away mission, Chakotay connects with an experience he had as a child and tries. Did you hear that? Did. Oh, no. Is that. Is that Wait. The... Is that oh, Indian Peter, No, we got to get out of here. That's it. <laughs> that, it's, it's fake Indian bullshit flute, Peter. It's fake Indian bullshit flute. Oh, episode nine will be a, a real fucking riveting experience, I can tell. Um, all right, man, let's close this out here. Given uh, uh, Neelix's strong urges to the captain at the beginning and following him through that uh, they need to talk about these Bothan guys, which she disregards for hollow novels, I give you rule acquisition 194. It is always good to know about new customers before they walk in your door. Yes. What fucking excellent advice that maybe Janeway should listen to. If only they had some Ferengi on the ship. On this note, everyone, uh, my name is Joseph. I'm Peter. And this has been an exceptionally hateful for me voyage through the Delta Quadrant. Uh, Be safe till we see you next time. Adios. Adios.